Well, it is good to be with you. I'm Joel, and we are in a series right now, um, walking through 1 Corinthians, and the series is entitled what? That's great. Like, automatically, I know what kind of service this is going to be. The name of the series is called? It's going to be a great service. It's going to be a great service. Um, and this is a, a picture. It's going to be finished in a couple of weeks. It keeps going. You can see every week if you've been coming and uh, if you're regularly a part of the ministry here at Chapel Point. Um, we're restoring this, uh, this Hoosier hutch. Boo. Why are you booing? I just had somebody boo. Let's pray for their soul right now. Um, the uh, Hoosier Hutch, Hoosier Cabinet, whatever it is. But we're doing this because we know that when it's finished, we're going to auction it all for roughly how much? $3 million. $3 million that's all. Um, we've got to pay off some building stuff here so we can keep growing the kingdom. Um, but as we look at it, this is hard. This is a picture of our marriage that we may have, that you may have. It's a picture of a relationship you may have. This might be a picture of just where you are individually with God. You're like, God, I want to look like a beautiful piece of furniture. I want to be awesome. Come on. Like, I want to, I want to be made whole. I want to look good. But getting there sometimes is really uncomfortable. Especially when the sander comes. Right? It's like, ah, oh, and your skin is tender. Um, this is a picture of what we're looking at right now. Restoration. What's it mean to be restored? And here's Paul. He's talking to the people at the church in Corinth. And we know that there's a lot of uh, just moral decay. Uh, they had the, one of the idols that they had, even though they had numerous. Uh, but they just worshiped their own sexuality. And that was a major issue. It's not much different than today, right? Um, we love our word temporary pleasure. Um, and being able to do whatever we want to do. Nobody can tell me anything different um, because we're all about the individual. We're certainly not about exalting Christ. It was no different then. And Paul is addressing some of these different issues that they're having. Um, it's also interesting as we walk through this passage because um, one of the things that we learn is the way someone enters into a room matters. Uh, let's have some participation. Who's been to a Christmas party before? Who's been to a Christmas party where one of the people wear one of those green or red suits that have all the lights and the Christmas? You, you know, who's been to that party? Who's been the person wearing it? Okay, one or two of you. I've seen them here. Okay, I've seen them here in the church. You make, when you walk in, I love it, man. I, I'm like props to you. But when you walk into a room with a green suit on with light bulbs and trees and like they light, it lights up. And when everybody, when you wave your hand, it starts playing joy to the world or whatever. Like, it doesn't do that. But if, if don't take my business idea, I'm going to make bank. Um, so when you, you guys, listen, that's some courage. You walk into a room and one thing is for certain, you make a statement, don't you? I want to look at how Paul walked into the church at Corinth. Paul walks into the church at Corinth. And of course, he's writing this letter later on. But he's, how long did he spend in Corinth? Year and a half. So only three of you have been previous weeks. That's great. Um, how long did Paul stay in Corinth? Year and a half. Somebody had to say 18 months. Yes, yeah, same thing. Um, year, year and a half. Um, and there he is, and he steps into the room when he's there. 
And he didn't step in with a suit that said, everybody, look at me. He didn't step in with a certain swag that said, everybody, guys, I'm better than you are. He didn't step in in that way at all. He stepped in, and he let them know that the quarreling that they were having, the division that they were experiencing, all the hardships, all the difficulties was based in one thing. They weren't making enough of Jesus. So here he comes, and we have 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The word of God is worth standing for, yes? Yes. Yeah, it's good. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him. And I was with you in what? And in and much and my speech, my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith not rest in the wisdom of, but in the power of. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not of wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Here's the thing with Paul. Um, Paul was a very smart individual. Incredibly knowledgeable. He's the guy who comes into the room, and whether he's right or not, you know he's winning the debate. Would have made an exceptional attorney. Now, if you're an attorney, I have nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. I, I just Sometimes I feel, though, today, it's not about what is right or wrong. It's simply about who can argue it the best. Anybody else feel that way? Huh? Um, well, here's a guy, Paul, who, very smart, academic guy, multiple languages, truly, right? And here he comes onto the scene. He's surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and he could have stepped in knowing that when he stepped into the room, he already knew he was one of the smartest people. Fully believe that. That would be so nice. Like, I step into the room, I'm like, don't make an idiot of yourself. Don't make an idiot of yourself, right? And here comes Paul. And he doesn't come in, even though he's incredibly smart, he doesn't come in to wow them. 
It says, I, I didn't come with the testimony of God with what? Lofty speech or wisdom. I'm not going to show off about how much I know and make sure that my words are eloquent and make sure that I can sway you one way or the other. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come in as a philosopher. He doesn't come in as an academic. He comes in as a witness of Jesus Christ. Corinth, prestigious, lots of resources, lots of wealth. We already know it's a trading area. All these people are gathering from all around. He could have walked in on one of these prominent cities like Corinth and said, look at how cool I am, but he doesn't because he actually knows no matter how he walks in the room that if he doesn't walk in proclaiming the power of Christ, being a witness of Christ, anything he does is temporary. So he steps into the picture as a witness. Everybody say, I am a witness. If you know Jesus Christ, you are now a witness of the power of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be that intelligent. I'm not saying you're not. You don't have to have the best language. You don't have to be the best philosopher. You don't have to be the best debater. You simply have to share your story about what Christ has done in your life and watch it work. Everybody say, I am a witness. I'm a witness. If you're a witness of Jesus Christ, that means you speak of Jesus Christ. And so he came to speak of Christ. He didn't come to be the best debater, to reason with them. He simply came as a witness. That's all he did. I came to you as a witness, proclaiming the testimony of God. Not with lofty speech. I'm not here to debate and sound smart. Not with the greatest wisdom. I don't need to do that. That's temporary. Paul knew. Here's one of the greatest things about Paul. is Paul knew that the gospel by itself was enough. It's one of the issues and one of the struggles that we have here. I mean, we hear comments all the time, and they're not bad comments. It's not that. But, I, hey, don't you guys want to, like, amp up your stage? And I wish we had a bigger stage. I wish we would have built more seats. Somebody recently asked, right, or, you know, if we keep growing, are we, are we going to add a fifth service? And the answer was adamantly no. And then they just laughed and they said, you still haven't learned. God, now watch God do this just to mess with you. But people come in like, don't you want to do more of this and more of this? And we're chain stuff here and there, but we work really hard to make none of this about why you come. If you're coming to be entertained, you're coming for the wrong reason. We need people to come because they just want more Jesus. They just want more scripture. They want the word of God because everything else is temporary. If you're coming for lights and if you're coming for music and if you're coming for other things, listen, we can't, we can't win. We'll always lose. But we don't need any of it. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a witness of the power of God. And that's what we must start understanding today. You are a witness of the power of God by the way you live your life and the way that you speak your words. You are a witness of the power of God. You are a witness of the power of God. You don't need bright lights over your head when you walk around. You don't need to make sure you wear bright clothes or everybody sees you. You don't need to be the greatest debater, the greatest philosopher, the greatest academic. You simply need to be a witness of Jesus. That's it. 
And if you're not speaking Jesus, I don't think you're being that much of a witness. Well, I don't know what I'm going to say. You don't have to do anything but tell your story. Yeah, but what if they come back on me? Let them come back on you. Friends, hear me say it now. We're a witness. And if we're not careful, we, and wanting to make sure we're smart enough and making sure that we can debate well enough and making sure that we have enough gimmicks and making sure we have enough lights and making sure that we have enough cool things, making sure that we have enough coffee, making sure that we can actually get in the way of the gospel. By the way, if you're a first-time guest here at Chapel Point, I would tell you that I'm not always this amped up. That would be a lie. But we love Scripture. And if you're a first-time guest here or a second-time guest, this is what I'll tell you right now. No matter what you have done, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You just have to surrender to Jesus Christ, and you can know eternal life. The gospel is enough by itself. The gospel is enough. 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 We should write a song. Like all of a sudden I wanted to break out and some boom, 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 right? So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he steps onto the scene. He's like, listen, I came to you. I, I didn't proclaim the testimony of God with all this lofty speech and wisdom. I decided that I needed to know nothing among you except that Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified. And that's all we really need to know. That's the first couple of verses right there. We don't need more than the gospel. We don't need more than the crucifixion. We don't have to earn it. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be a philosopher or anything else. You can simply step into the picture and preach Jesus Christ glorified. He's like, I, I know your problems. He's like, listen, I, I knew you in weakness, verse 3. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you with much trembling. And my speech, my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he's looking at them. He's like, guys, you're trying to find fulfillment in the wisdom of men. You're trying to make sure that you appease them. And so now you're being confused because they're going, oh, it's based on just find your fulfillment in any God that you want to create. That was one of the problems in Corinth. They had all these different gods, polytheistic, right? Not monotheistic, one God, one king, one Lord. And so then they're like, hey, well, you can do it and just by chasing your own pleasures, your own sexual desires. And so now everybody's chasing their own sexual desires. And they're confused. He's like, listen, friends, it's only in the power of God that you're going to find life. Your faith they had placed their faith in temporal things. But it's only the power of God that is everlasting. I mean, this is, this is, it's not complicated what he's trying to communicate here for us. And one, one of the other incredible attributes about Paul is I think Paul knew that simply living in self-confidence wouldn't work. He needed to live in the confidence that Christ would do all that he said he would do. Living with confidence in Christ is very different than living in confidence in self. We, know, we love to tell people today, man, just 
Be, be confident in yourself. Be confident in yourself. No, how about this? Be confident in God. You will fail. You will mess up, but God is greater. And no matter what you've done, God still loves you. Now, we're not, we're not the church who says, hey, do whatever you want and just ask for grace later on. No, 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 no. We love God and recognize what he's done so much that we want to be obedient to his word. But we know that even in our mistakes, he's full of grace and wants to, to forgive. And he is easy to forgive. Just ask. And so we just keep chasing him. That's a biblical, spiritually mature posture. But he's, and he tells him, man, listen, your faith, don't let it rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's one of the ways to think about it. Um, here's one of the reasons that you don't have to be the smartest in the room and the greatest philosopher and the greater, greatest debater. I can debate pretty well. Um, <clears throat> God humbled me about that years ago. I mean, he knocked me to my knees, and he goes, you just embarrassed them for no good reason. Friends, if, here's the struggle with it. If you can persuade someone with human wisdom and human logic to follow Jesus, they can just as easily be persuaded to not follow Jesus with human wisdom and logic. It's the power of God that transforms. And so I will tell you, you know, some people are like, oh, I used to follow Jesus Christ, and now I stepped away. I'd be like, ah. honestly, I think that's really hard to do. I think probably when you first come to know Jesus Christ, then, if that's the case, I'm not, I'm not saying every case, but the majority of the time, I think it's because you simply believe what your parents told you to believe, or you're convinced by human wisdom and logic to follow Christ, not by godly wisdom and logic, not by godly understanding, not by the power of God. And so you turned away from it because it's, you're, you're going about things with human understanding. Right? When, uh, about 25 years ago, I was leading a camp, and every week we had about four to 500 students that would come into that camp. We would travel to different colleges, universities, um, and I, would, I was preaching every day. That's you're talking about cutting your teeth and preaching. You start preaching five days a week, you cut your teeth. And I did that for about 10 weeks straight. And so there I am, and I'm preaching, and I'm just, man, I'm learning so much. And as I'm doing that, what I recognize, like, people, students started coming up to me. Maybe you'll identify with this. And it would always be the last day of the camp. And they'd be like, oh, man, preacher, you going to make us cry tonight? Like, right? That's, you go to the last night of the camp, you're going to cry. You're going to like, oh, okay, here we go. And I was like, No. Because that'll be temporary. I can make you cry. I can tell you stories about my life. Like, I am, well, oh my goodness, that guy's jacked up. Friends, I, I, I take so much comfort in not having to be the smartest, the best debater. All I have to do is preach the power of God. And all you have to accept in your own life, is the power of God. All you have to understand is that you can't do it yourself and so you rely upon him. He's like, man, you guys keep relying on the wisdom of men. It's the power of God that matters. It's all about Jesus. He's going to keep with this theme. That's the first five verses. Not complicated. And then he jumps into six through nine. Let's go there. If you're looking, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then he says this. He says, Yet, it's like a therefore or a but, right? 
Yet, among the mature. All right, so everybody say, yet, yes. among the mature. One of the other hardships and struggles that we're going to have today is everybody already thinks they're mature. Even the way we parent is based on sometimes we want our kids to present in a way to be mature so that they're a good reflection of us. We really don't care about the reflection of Jesus. We want to make sure that we, were, we you know, they reflect us well, and we have all these different ideas and thoughts. And yet it says, yet among the mature. So he's saying, guys, your problem is you're relying on human wisdom, and you're trying to find fulfillment in temporal things rather than relying on the power of God. That's your real issue. In life, I would tell you, the majority of the time, that's the, that's the real basis. You're trying to be good enough, trying to do enough. You're going to keep problems, and you're trying to find fulfillment. And um, maybe shopping, maybe you're trying to find fulfillment, where I sometimes try to fulfillment. Last night, I was in this place. I was in a bad place. And so I go to this beautiful room called the pantry. <laughs> Anybody else do this? Right? It's my favorite room in the house. And um, I, have a, I have a vice. You're going to make fun of me for this. I probably share way too much. But a spoonful of what? Peanut butter. Right? Oh, occasionally crunchy. Let's get really personal. Sometimes crunchy, but usually just creamy. Can I get a hallelujah? Now this is going to make you sing. You're about to go, what? Put a little bit of honey on top. The angels come down. It's like, what? This is so good. And last night, I do it because I get in a bad place thinking, and, and it's been a long weekend, and I'm like, man, I just, I'm like, God, I got to preach. And I kept working on sermon. Like, and so I go to the pantry and I stood there. I literally looked at the can of peanut butter. And I said out loud, don't, somebody laughed at me. Don't laugh. You're, don't. Everybody look, everybody look in that corner and say rude. <laughs> I looked at the peanut butter and I said, Jesus is enough. Because I wasn't even hungry. And we try to find fulfillment in all these our own things. That's what he's communicating. I don't have to come with all this other stuff. You're trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong places, in your own wisdom, your own logic. It'll never work. It'll never work. Stop trying to do the very thing that everybody else throughout history has proven doesn't work. But then he says, but yet among the mature, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's another way of saying, yet among the ones who actually have ears to hear, yet among the ones who know that it's about more than themselves, yet among the ones who understand the power of God, they get it. Ears to hear. Right? Hebrews talks about those who are dull of hearing, and many are dull of hearing because you're trying to find wisdom and satisfaction in life and purpose and fulfillment and the temporal things rather than the eternal things. And so God's going, and here's Paul speaking through, right? God's speaking through Paul and saying, you need to understand the mature get it because they have ears to hear. They don't have dull hearing, and they're not looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in the wrong things. If you keep looking 
in magazines or in the mall or at the grocery store or in the pantry or on the internet for things to provide temporal fulfillment, you will never win. There's only fulfillment that is eternal through the power of God. That is all. That's it. Jesus is enough. So don't walk out of this place today and go, I'm going to step right back in and get ticked off at God for not helping me more when you're still choosing the temporal things for fulfillment. It doesn't work that way. I can't get on to not being healthy if I keep going into the pantry at night and doing this. God, why are you letting me be so unhealthy? I should be healthier. Well, then put the spoon down. God, why are you not letting me find more fulfillment and just sitting in the word of God in the morning with a cup of coffee and just going, man, this is so good because the night before you just found fulfillment on the internet. And so he's looking at him going, guys, come on. The problem is you're not mature. He says, but yet among the mature, among, and this is spiritual maturation it's speaking about, right? Yet among the spiritually mature. So I want to talk about what spiritual maturity is. I'm going to give you some things. You might want to write down some of these passages of Scripture. One you might be familiar with, you know, spiritual maturity is the one who is patient and kind, right? Not envious or, or, or boastful or proud. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. I'm just going to give you a laundry list of stuff. It'll be good for you right now. Um, one who honors others and they don't have selfish gain. I always, you can write down Romans chapter 12. It's, it's a passage I love actually to, to bring out in weddings because it talks about how we care for other people, but I think that includes our spouse. And it says that you will outdo in showing honor. Like you'll outdo one another. I was actually um, have Tyler and Ellen Waterway. I was able to be a part of that wedding. And it's the first time I called out that passage in a wedding because I was like, man, you get to outdo one another in showing love. You get to outdo one another in showing honor. You get to outdo one another. It's like if you have any competitive bone in your body, let's gear it toward Jesus. That's what spiritual maturation looks like. But they couldn't take their eyes off of their own wants. Well, I want, like some of us, even in the church today, but I want God to use me like this, and God's not using me like this. Listen, so now you're going to complain about which gifts God gives you? That is the definition of self-centeredness and pride. Say, so, man, yet among the mature, spiritual maturity, what's it look like? By the way, all, everything I just mentioned will be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 through 7, which we'll cover in a few years. <laughs> Hebrews 5.14, I threw this one on the screen for you. It says, solid food is for the? Solid food is for the? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I think someone, man, if... If you're spiritually mature, you find no pleasure in evil. You find no pleasure in evil. Evil is anything that pulls you away from God. One more for you, Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Colossians 1, 28 through 29, it really is what it's doing. It's communicating the goal of the believer. 
Like if you are spiritually mature, here's your goal. And it says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect, or another translation, it says perfect or mature in their relationship to Christ. So what it's communicating, that if you're being presented as mature in Christ, then you're telling others about Christ. You can't claim spiritual maturity in Christ without speaking Christ to other people, friends. It is not simply my job to make sure that Jesus is proclaimed. It is all of our responsibilities to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. You got to get, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I am so tired. of actions speak louder than words. It's the greatest phrase that people had, had around. It doesn't mean you don't use your words. And by the way, that's not scriptural to begin with. Can we go by the word of God? Because the Great Commission says, go and speak and tell. It doesn't say, make sure you're nice to people. And maybe one day before they die, they'll ask, what do you have that I don't have? And if you're new to Chapel Point, this is your first time visiting, I would tell you that I'm not always like this, but that is a lie. <laughs> I'm pretty much always like this. Just give me a Bible, right? Amen. Just give me the word. Give us, let's go. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. There it is. So we tell others about Christ. And we're warning everyone and teaching them with all the wisdom that, man, if you're finding fulfillment in the wrong things, it's not going to work anyway. And I know you just want to keep chasing and getting more and more and more and more and finding this false fulfillment, but it's not going to happen. And you're still going to be angry later on. And so you present them to God because you're mature in your relationship with Christ. That's Colossians chapter 1. Here's the big question for you is, they, the people in Corinth, they struggled in understanding what spiritual maturity was. Do you? Right? We, we must understand that we, we better not assume maturity. With You cannot assume spiritual maturity without examining biblical truth. You cannot assume spiritual maturity without examining biblical truth. You cannot do it. <clears throat> One of the ways that you know if you're spiritually mature is by what you choose to eat. You see, the other issue that they're having is the immature person, they don't, they don't have the discernment to know what's good to eat. It's like a baby, right? Yeah, listen, I've had lots of kids. Well, my, my wife's had lots of kids. And you have a kid, and all of a sudden, what do you do? Like, they just start grabbing anything that you will put in front. Like, should you just leave your marble sitting around all over the house with the baby? No. What's the baby going to do? Well, I don't want to say it's going to kill them. I went aggressive. Like, but like, they're going to put it in their mouth. They might, cho they might choke on it, right? You don't want to put that out there. Um, there are certain things you don't do. Why? Because they don't have the maturity to know what to eat. And so they'll just gnaw on absolutely, it's like a little golden retriever puppy. They'll gnaw on everything. You just can't kick it out of your house. Because they don't have the maturity to discern what to eat. Well, a lot of them, they weren't hearing the gospel and absorbing it because they didn't have the maturity to know what they should be eating. And they were filling their bellies on other things. Man, I think it's such an important question to say, are you maturing in Christ? 
Remember, you can't define spiritual maturity without biblical truth. This is exactly what the elders spoke about this weekend. You heard some of that already with Lanson and Andrea pairing up here, and we're unpacking the fact that we know what God is really calling us to. It just scares me. Because I even I told them, I said, guys, when, when they first asked me to come here, I did not want to come to Michigan. I did not. It's not anything wrong with Michigan. I, I did not want to come. And I just recently saw this. I was looking back through some journals. If you don't journal sometimes, I would tell you to journal. And I say, God, I don't know how to fix what's there. And then my journal said, all of a sudden God spoke to me. He says, I didn't ask you to know how, you arrogant dum-dum. I just asked you to be obedient. That's it. I think spiritual maturity, I know spiritual maturity is partly knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be, be the best debater. You don't have to be the coolest dresser, right? Just declare the power of God. How are you declaring the power of God in your life? And he's going to speak, he was speaking honesty to these people, and it was abrasive to them. But let me just address something with that real quick. Not telling someone what they want to hear doesn't constitute hate. In fact, if said with kindness, it can be the greatest form of love. And he was saying some really hard things to them. Like, guys, you're getting all this wrong. And you're chasing all this sexuality and all these other gods and all these other idols and whatever, you know. And as he's jumping in, he's like, okay, so are you spiritually mature? Because if you're spiritually mature, you're not basing anything off the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. These are these people who, listen, the rulers of this age that it's referring to, those are the human rulers of that age. And he's like, obviously, they're not that bright. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. So says, hey, if you're spiritually mature... We're going to impart a secret, a hidden wisdom from you because you have ears to hear. The way you hear from God is you even, some people are like, I just never heard from God. And I, I ask them, what, how are you living? Do you even have a heart and ears that can hear? Because you might have so much hatred and sin in your life, debauchery in your life, that you don't have ears to hear. Holy Spirit has to step into your life, give you the ears to be able to hear, and you start to hear, and you're like, man, all right, that's that wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages of our, for our glory. And it says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. There it is for you right there, and I love that, that it's talking about the Lord of what? Isn't that a cool title, Lord of glory? That should be another song right there, Lord of glory. Proof that Paul had resigned himself. He fully understood and regarded Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord of glory. So here's, 
stepping in, a bunch of people. They so much like, moral decay and filth and everything else around them. And they're going, why do we have so much division and quarrels? And he said, well, you should stop fighting. And part of the problem is you keep relying on your own fulfillment rather than relying on the power of God. You have a story to tell. You are a witness, but you're not relying on those things. Is this familiar at all? Anybody familiar today? Right? And so he's stepping in and he's telling them, here's the real issue that you have. You need to stop relying on the wisdom of whatever you think you might be hearing out in the world. You need to rely on the wisdom of God. But if you're choosing to listen to everything out around you, and you better know what's filling your heart and your mind and your ears, what influences you more than anything else. And if you're being influenced more than anything else by things outside of God, don't get upset when God doesn't do what you want or you don't understand what God's trying to do because you don't have ears to hear. This is not complicated. And he ends with a passage where in this last verse, really what he's doing, he's paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 64. So he's going to jump back, right? And it tells you how smart they are. It tells you how smart Paul, smart Paul is. He just throws back the Old Testament here and there and just like, oh, yeah, this says this and this says this. And they don't have the resources like we do today by any means. But he was studied. He was smart. He was an academic. But that's not what he's there to flaunt. He's there. To, some of us want to flaunt all kinds of things, but he's just there to flaunt Jesus. And he says, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When you're, you, you haven't even, if you're relying on worldly human, uh, human worldly logic for fulfillment and everything, you, you haven't even begun to see what God has in store. You haven't even begun to hear all that God really wants to do. You don't even get it. You don't, you don't get it. And it, it forces us to focus our attention upon Jesus. That's what he just keeps saying. I mean, you just got to focus more on Jesus. You got to get rid of some things in your life where you're giving attention, where you're giving focus. He, uh, this reminds me of St. Patrick's Prayer. My, my oldest is named Carson Patrick. Many of you know this um, because I love St. Patrick's Prayer. It's a powerful prayer. Um, we're, my wife and I were actually married um, a couple years ago on St. Patrick's Day. Um, and as we're there, it, it's just like, man, I just I love the significance of it. I, I put some of it on the screen for you. And this is partly, I think, Paul's prayer for the Corinthian church. And I'm going to throw out some of it. it may not be in that perfect order because it's in different forms other places but he's this is just a portion of it but he's like man I pray that you would start binding yourself to Christ that you would start finding fulfillment in Christ I pray that Christ would be with you and before you and behind you and beneath you and above you and beside you because right now you got other things on your left pulling you over here and things on your right pulling you over here. And I'm praying that when you lie down, you know Christ. That when you sit down, you know Christ. 
I pray that Christ would be in the heart of everyone who thinks of you. Christ would be in the mouth of everyone who speaks of you. Christ would be in the ear of everyone who hears you. Christ would be in the eye of everyone who sees you. I pray that you would actually recognize what it is to bind yourself to the power of Christ. That you are a witness. And that means you speak that you are a witness, which means you declare that you are a witness of the power of God. So let's start acting like it. Because if you're coming into this place today simply to be entertained, you ain't going to get a lot of that. What you're going to get is you need some more Jesus. And if you don't change from hearing the power of the gospel, it means you're one of the people. You don't have spiritual wisdom. You don't have ears to hear. You cannot remain as you are if you have encountered the living God. Not possible. I think, here's part of the praise. I think he prays that just as he had been captivated, he prays that the people in the church in Corinth would be captivated by Jesus. Are you captivated by Jesus? God, we love you, we praise you, we adore you. We declare your goodness. We declare your greatness. May we be captivated by you. May Christ be, please Christ, be in our heart, the heart of everyone who thinks of us. Be in the eye of everyone who sees us. Be in the ear of everyone who hears us. Christ, please captivate our heart.